Good morning. How are you? Oh, you ought to be wonderful. Wonderful. As Brother Tony said this morning during our Bible study, there are a lot of folk who laid down last night who didn't get up today. And God has been good to us. And if you're anything like I am, you're asking yourself, why? Why me? What have I done that has caused him to be so gracious to me when so many others have been called from labor to reward? But I'm learning along the way that my responsibility to God is to live consistently, daily, so that when my time comes, I'll be ready to answer that call. And if we don't answer that call, it will be one of the uh, greatest mistakes that we could make in our lives. I want to thank you again today for your prayers that enabled our safe travel. Uh, spent a week away, had a great time resting. And I don't care where I go, I don't care how beautiful it is, I don't care how much fun I had. At the end of three, four, five, six days, I'm ready to go back home. Uh, this particular time, Dorian helped us <laughs> to firm that decision up uh, in that uh, we needed to get out of there. And God has blessed us. And we need to be prayerful for those who are in this storm's path that the Lord will cover them in his grace. It's good to be back. It's good to see you this morning. I miss you when I'm away. And I think about you when I'm away. And I'm certain that I voice the sentiments of my wife as well. Um, I, I'm going to continue, we're going to continue with our study in the book of Acts until we finish it. Because there is no greater study for us than the study of Acts. Because that's where we find the Lord's church started. And if we're to know how to carry ourselves today, it will be because we are mimicking the behavior of the first church. The early disciples whom we can follow through the book of Acts and get detailed information about how God works through his people, especially in a time of persecution. Oh, I, I wish I had a formula for you. But the bad news today is that we were called to suffer. That's what Peter says to us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 20. And 21, when he asked the question, what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer for it, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. Now listen to 21. For to this you were called. 
If you've been called by God, you can understand that part of that calling involves suffering. We may like to overlook that, but the bad news today is that we can't get away from suffering. It has our address. It makes no difference how godly you live. Suffering will find its way to your address. Persecution. Regardless of how you live. If you stay in the house all the time. Persecution will find its way to wherever you're residing in the home. Sometimes the greatest persecution comes from those who know us best. But Jesus says, or Paul says, or Peter rather, says, for this is what you were called to. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. Who committed no sin, neither was there any guile found in his mouth. I want you to get your nugget today, so don't go to sleep here. <laughs> Chances are, I'm going to say what you need to hear time you doze off. <laughs> and you will have missed it. Right. And then you'll be one of the people who will leave the building today saying, I don't know why I came because I didn't get anything out of that. <laughs> well, don't nod. <laughs> and you may get you a nugget. Today's lesson centers around the 14th chapter of Acts, the first seven, uh, first seven verses, and we're going to spend a Sunday or two there. But I want to focus on something that Brother Jerry started out with this morning, and I've entitled the lesson today, Persecution Worthy of Rejoicing. There is a persecution that is worthy of our rejoicing over it. That is why James says in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, and if you will, turn there and read that with me so that you won't think I put something in there that's not in your book. James chapter 1, Verses 2 through 4. It's a passage that we're familiar with. James says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Persecution worthy of rejoicing. The scriptures promise us in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and the verses 1 that in the last days perilous times will come. And I want you to understand that these perilous times were predicted in the last days long after the missionary journeys of the book of Acts have been completed. So we're not talking about just the persecution that 
the early church experienced as they traveled from one city to another preaching Christ Jesus to the world. We're talking about persecution that comes with being a Christian. The experiences of the early disciples are nothing short of a case study in perseverance. No matter how godly we live, God is going to allow some trials and persecutions to come our way. That's God's way of letting us see how devoted we are to his cause. It forces us to act out our faith because faith without works is dead. James chapter 2 and verse number 14. If a person can be saved simply by what he says rather than what he does, the scripture says, will that kind of faith save him? The answer is screaming out, no. What kind of persecution, though, is worthy of rejoicing over? Strange that in Acts chapter 5, verse 41, after having been beaten, the apostles started rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of Jesus. Yeah. Now I want you to pay attention because the, the, the body of the lesson is not very long, but there are some points there that all of us need to hear. The first of which is, all persecution of Christians is not persecution because we're Christians. Sometimes we're persecuted for things that we bring on ourselves. And they have nothing to do with Christianity. So we must start there by making the distinction. When we think about the persecution that we're dealing with in our lives. What is its source? Am I the source of my own persecution? Am I my own worst enemy? Where is the source? Persecution worthy of joyousness comes with a standard. So every time something bothers us doesn't mean that we're suffering as Christians. There is no comfort in sufferings when we bring them upon ourselves by our own sin, folly, and disobedience. It's difficult to read the account of the first missionary journey without being both sad and happy. Sad because of the lengths people will go to thwart the preaching of the gospel. And on the other hand, happy because their misguided efforts are always used by God to bring more believers and in turn more honor to him. I want you to turn with me now to 1 Peter chapter 4. For there we find uh, the summary for the statement that I just made. 1 Peter, I think we need to consider this. 1 Peter, the chapter is 4. 
And the verses are 12 through 16. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. Don't be surprised when folk treat you ugly because you're trying to tell them the truth. Don't be surprised about that. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. So it should come as no surprise to Christians that there is a legitimate place for some suffering in our Christian living. That's not the end of that, but I'm going to repeat the first part of the beginning. It should come as no surprise to Christians that there is a legitimate place for some suffering in our Christian living. If we are to see and witness what God is really capable of. As a matter of fact, God is willing to show up more often than we ask or expect him to. He's more willing to forgive us than we are to ask his forgiveness. We're not so far removed from the kind of persecution the early disciples experienced. We today have our bombing of church buildings and mosques and synagogues over religious reasons. So we're not so far removed from them, but we should be reminded that when we read of their persecution, that there are some things God will do only when we suffer persecution. There are some things about God that he doesn't reveal to us unless we're under persecution. There's some things that he did for Paul and Barnabas and, and the other guys who traveled with them that they could only witness during persecution. So don't run away from persecution because it's in persecution and suffering at times that we get a real close, up, close look at the God we serve. Let me go further with that. God shows up when we are outnumbered. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. God shows up when we're treated badly for preaching the truth or telling somebody the truth. God shows up when the powers that be think they have had the last word. God shows up to give us the strength to silently accept apologies that were never made, voiced, or requested. We get a glimpse of the best of God when we're suffering 
as Christians. If you don't believe that there are people who make requests of us through actions rather than words. When Peter denied Jesus three times, denied knowing him, when he denied that last time and he heard the cock crow, just as Jesus had told him it would, Jesus was coming out of the hall. Peter was standing there warming around the fire with enemies of Jesus. That's how he got caught up. When you hang out with folk who ain't about nothing, it can change your life. So you have to be careful who you surround yourself with. But here's the thing that I want to say to you about Peter. The Bible does not record that Peter said to Jesus, I'm so sorry. You warned me and I didn't, I refused to consider your warning and I want you to know I've sinned against you. And I'm so sorry. I beg your forgiveness. I apologize. But the only thing the scriptures record that Peter did in the aftermath of that incident was to go out and weep bitterly. Sometimes people don't have the courage to ask for the forgiveness or to apologize as they ought. And when that happens, there are times when we will find God showing us, not through people's words, but that there is a place for us to forgive and to accept apologies that have never been voiced to us. And often we don't do that in our words, we do it in our hot tears. Sometimes we have to be satisfied with bitter tears from people who really mean us well but don't know how to show. I'm sure Peter didn't go there to deny Jesus. He went there trying to be nosy and find out what was going to happen, though he wasn't willing to do anything to help, and got caught up in his own curiosity to the point where he denied he even knew the man that he was there trying to see what was going to happen to him. That's deep to me. God shows up. When, when, when we are impotent, when we finally decide that there's nothing we can do to change our situation by ourselves, God shows up. But then, you know, what we are somewhat removed from is the dedication to continue being bold disciples of Christ when conditions are unfavorable. Somewhere along the line, somebody lied to us. We got the wrong impression from somewhere about this thing called Christianity. Folk think that Christianity is wrapped up in walking down the aisle and giving our lives to Christ when that barely opens the door. Because even in our coming, 
Paul teaches us in Romans 6, 17 that we must obey from the heart. That form of doctrine which we receive. So just bouncing down the aisle and flippantly saying, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, merely starts a process. A process that Jesus spoke about when he talked about Paul in Acts chapter 9, around verse 16. He says, when they were skeptical of Paul because of his persecution of the church. Jesus said to Adonis, I must show him how many things he will suffer for my name's sake. And he had just called Saul. But he says, part of my calling him has to do with suffering that he's going to encounter as he preaches the precious word. So we're not so far removed from the persecutions, what we are far removed from is the devotion, the commitment, the stick to that causes us to keep doing Christian things even when things are not favorable. In the street, on the job, at the church house, and in our homes. It's hard to be a Christian when the folk who live with you are not trying to be one. Mm -hmm. It's hard to keep doing things that you've learned to do when folk are not encouraging you. Part of the time that we live as Christians is lived in an uncomfortable environment. Even at church. You know, you, you, you come here thinking that, my God, I, I know there's somebody here who can identify with what I'm going through. You know, somebody who can say, don't worry, I've been where you are. And I want you to know that God shows up when you're least expected. And when you come in, you find people who are so in tune with getting their minds straight so that they can hear the message and they can worship in spirit and in truth that they forget about the edifying that we need to do when we come together. We only together a little while, folks. But we have to go back to that den of thieves out there for seven more days before we get a chance to see each other again. It doesn't make sense that we will be beat up out there and then come in here and get a left hook. That somebody in the body is not accepting the responsibility to encourage and to edify and to build up. But somebody who's come to take their wrath out on me or on you. God will show up. If you say anything about God not showing up, you got to be lying. Because God always shows up. He doesn't show up the way we want him to. We want folk to get God. But we want God to get folk. 
And sometimes we're happy with what they're suffering through because we say, that's what they deserve. Well, what do you deserve? You, that's who I'm talking to. Not the person next to you, but you. We exist because disciples like Paul and Barnabas and Timothy and Silas refused to give in to people who hated them because of Jesus. We exist because they would not quit and run. We exist because they refused to be quiet. We exist because they were not afraid under unfavorable conditions. We get hung up sometimes blaming God when things don't go right rather than praising him for the opportunity to see his power in action. You want to see God's power in action, get in trouble. Some folk don't look for it at any other time. When you, if you really want to see what God can do, be persecuted. Suffer a little bit. But often, we keep ourselves a comfortable distance from persecution. And in so doing, we miss out on what God really can do. We've only seen the tip of the iceberg in terms of how far God will go to extend himself for his children when they're in trouble. He promised he'd be here with us always even until the end of the ages. Believe in this lesson today means that there are times when we should expect God to show up. Are there times when you expect God to show up? Mm-hmm. Have there been times when you've expected him to show up, but you were looking in the wrong place? Because you were wanting him to get somebody and he doesn't get them for you? You can't deputize Jesus. Jesus will not be your deputy. <laughs> Believing the lesson today means that there are times when we ought to expect God to show up. And here's where we get closer to home. I'm coming, I'm, I'm rounding third now. <laughs> times when we should expect God to show up is being terminated, for instance from your job because you refuse to take part in a fraudulent scheme and doing it because you are a Christian rather than because you're afraid to go to jail. Don't dismiss that now. Times when we ought to expect God to show up are times when we are being evil spoken of because we won't compromise God's word. Times when we are being taunted as goody two-shoes because we don't continue in sin 
with those that we used to sin with. <laughs> Times when we are being reviled and despised because our views are regarded as bigoted and narrow and severe, unfavorable conditions. Times when we are being labeled as brainwashed because we are Christians. Times when we are being thought of as uneducated because of your faith in God. Times when we are being excluded from certain jobs because we act too spiritual. Want to talk about biblical things too much. Times when we're being accused of thinking we're too good for others because we try to do the right thing. Being considered a fanatic because you speak out against wrong even when no one agrees with you. Times when people despise you so much that they look for an opportunity to catch you in a wrong. Hmm. <laughs> Times when being truthful to the point where people want to do you harm. This is where we find Saul and Bar Paul and Barnabas. As they travel from Lystra to Derby, from Iconium, always leaving from Antioch going from one city to another, there was a different response to them. And sometimes those were not unfavorable conditions. It's in this chapter, the 14th chapter of Acts, <coughs> excuse me, that these haters of God's word stoned Paul and the only reason they stopped is they, they thought he was dead. That's what the Bible leaves us with. They stoned him and left him for dead. And as the disciples gathered around to look at him, didn't say anybody was trying to resuscitate him. Didn't say anybody was pumping his chest, giving him CPR. Didn't say anything about what they said to him. Just gazing at him. Yeah. How we like to do. Yeah. Somebody hurt, we want to go over there and look at him. <laughs> That's about it. And as they were looking at Paul, God showed him. God showed up, and the Bible says, Paul, get up! Oh, he had to be bloody, because they just finished stoning him. Bloody! Get up! And went straight back to doing what he had just finished doing. You talk about commitment and devotion in the face of unfavorable conditions. These two young men are a case study. And perseverance. Even some of us, as we think about this, say in, in our own hearts, Paul and Barnabas, run. <laughs> run! Get away from these hateful folk. And then finally, persecution inflicted. 
for any reason other than because we are Christians is not worthy of rejoicing. But persecution because of the name of Jesus is worthy of joy. But here's the reason. Because we can be sure that God will show up and he'll amaze us when he does. God has shown up for you today. You know how he did that? He woke you up and then he guided you to this place. Now, I'm not even going to ask how many of you the, the devil tried to cut in on. Because you know he'll give you a hundred excuses. This is a holiday weekend. God can't possibly expect me to give up a holiday weekend to come to worship. I've been coming for 50 months, 50 Sundays out of the year. I can miss one. And surely you can if your heart is right. But when we talk about missing service because it's the holiday weekend and we got to get our grill ready. And go and get us a watermelon before they run out. That, that's suspect, folk. And that does not represent consistent devotion to God under unfavorable circumstances. I got to say this before I sit down. Because it bothers me. And Trump folk will say it bothers you because you're not in the situation. And maybe that is the case. But I still don't understand how those who work seven days a week don't get the chance to worship and don't try to do anything to change it. Now, isn't it against the law for folk to work continually? I mean, don't, don't you get off one day a week? But see, what I found out is the one day a week for some folk is Sunday. They can take it off. But Sunday is a hard day to take off. Because you get paid double time. It's not that you can't take off. It's that you won't take off. Because you value double time over worship time. Now, if that stings, it may be because you wear no shoes. If it doesn't, don't worry about it. Now, I'm just telling you what I think based on my study of the word. But, and based on that study of the word, there is no reason. There is no excuse. For missing the worship unless I'm ill, incapacitated. I'm just saying. Maybe we ought to revisit this and find out what's really causing us to work on Sunday. 
folk generally will tell you, well, you know that's what they say I have to do. You know that. Uh, mm -hmm. You know what that is. That's an excuse. Because anything else you want to do badly enough, you'll take on. But when it comes to God, and then you wonder why God is so distant from you. You're not even willing to sacrifice so that he can show up and amaze you with what he can do. I've asked some people, uh, since you don't get any time off, have you ever asked for any time off? Have you ever told them like so many brothers and sisters do? I work, I, I don't work on Sundays, I worship on Sundays. Well, folks say, well, I may get fired. God shows up. And until we get to the place where we can make difficult decisions, we'll never see the God that we serve as he is. Oh, he's able to do so much more than we give him credit for. As a matter of fact, he owns all the jobs. Sometimes we blame God for doing things he didn't do. Some folks say, well, you know, God gave me this job. God hasn't given you anything that was designed to stand in the way of your worship. <laughs> to stand in the way of your giving, your communing, your singing, your praying. There are some things you can do on your own, but you cannot work, miss the worship service continually and have any life in you. Jesus says, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you have no life in you. But because of these, folk now are addicted to screens. That's all they hey. When we sat in the airport coming back home, everybody, I mean everybody, and the place was packed. You know what they were doing while they were waiting on their flight to be called? This is what it is today. They put this over this. I didn't see nobody. I don't know what they were reading on there. They could have ever been reading about. I'm telling you this because I love you. I'm not angry. I don't have a right to be angry with you. Because I have my own issues. But I'm so glad that I made a decision early in my life because I was raised by Christian parents who taught me let nothing get in the way of your worship to God. Nothing. And so when I was deciding what career I would pursue, that was in the forefront of my decision. That was in the forefront of my decision. I don't want to do anything that's going to require me to work on Sunday because that's the Lord's day. And if I'm going to get on my knees and pray and ask him to give me a job because I realize that he owns all the jobs and then turn around and let a few extra dollars make me put him on the back burner, something is wrong with me. 
That's what we used to call growing up an engine giver. You're an engine giver. I want to leave this message with you and say this. God has brought you here. He brought you here for a reason. If you've heard the message and you're dealing with a lot of unfavorable situations in your life, the Lord extends himself to us by saying, come unto me. All you who have labored and are heavy laden, that's suffering, that's persecution, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You can't find it anywhere else, not even on a vacation. Take my yoke upon you, he says, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. If you're here today and you're subject to this message, try Jesus for a chance. And you'll find that he pays more than double time. He gives us a crown of life that won't fade away. Won't fade away. That's the message. If you're here and you're subject to it, come right now as we together stand and as we sing.